This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to episode 192 of the Broadcast Podcast. This week we're taking from the new series of Margins to Mike from Unreached Network, Margins to Mike brings together voices from across the New Frontiers family and further afield. And in this episode, Lessons from the Jungle, Laura Lee Lovering is speaking to us from Peru. When I see across the atlas, my heart bleeds on this canvas. So we map the plan out to bring healing for this cancer. Tunnel vision focus, seeing the broken and the hopeless. There's healing in this music as God spoke. We wrote this. I've got Hi everyone. My name is Laurie Lovering. Uh, I'm from the UK. I'm British. I was born in Kenya, but I grew up in England. My dad is English and my mum is from Trinidad. But in 2012, I came to live here in Peru, in South America, and I've been here ever since. So recently, I relocated in country to a city on the northwest coast, a city called Pura. It's very dry and dusty. It's basically desert. But before that, I was living in the jungle in the northeast, uh, an area known as the Peruvian Amazon. And I lived there for about nine and a half years. Uh, it's very flat, lots of rivers, uh, hardly any roads, it's very green, uh, lots of vegetation, uh, it's very hot and humid all year round. Uh, there are lots of biting and stinging things, uh, lots of nature really. Um, it's a stunningly beautiful and physically uncomfortable place to live. But I can honestly say that I, I love the jungle and I loved my time living there, I recommend uh, that everyone gets gets to come to the jungle at least once in their life. Um, but now that I'm not living there uh, and I've changed ministry, it has given me a chance to reflect on my time there. Um, and I've come up with what I've called uh, four lessons from the jungle, which I'd really like to just be able to share with you right now. So, The Apostle Paul, in his pastoral letter to the church at Philippi, said, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13. So this passage is about material need and material comfort and the grace that God gave to Paul to be able to kind of overcome um, all of the difficult bits and be able to just get on with the work at hand, whether that was preaching the gospel, uh, discipling new believers, or just generally being thankful and encouraging the people around him. And that's why I call this first lesson from the jungle, praising and serving amidst the discomforts and imperfections. So before moving to Peru, I was going to a modern evangelical city church. Um, The chairs were all very comfortable. The teaching was great and always kind of just smoothly delivered. uh, And the music group was 
well, as far as I could tell, it was flawless. Um, and all of those things were a blessing, without a doubt. Um, those things meant that going to church was nice. Uh, it was pretty easy uh, to, to uh, stay attentive to the sermon and not get distracted. Um, and every time of worship, you know, felt spiritual as I was able to just like sing my heart out. And then I got to where I was going here in Peru, a, a small city called Nauta at the end of a road uh, in the middle of a, an area of jungle, which is about the size of Germany. And I remember those first uh, church meetings. Um, it's kind of like the message was was 50% just unintelligible uh, because there was so much child noise inside the building and so much traffic noise outside the building. And then, you know, the other 50% was unintelligible uh, just because uh, of the digressions of the, of the preacher, jumping from one subject to another, jumping from one Bible verse to another, um, you know, and all of this kind of not well linked up. Um, and then there was the fact that, you know, the seating with, with these uh, wooden benches, no backs, are oh, so uncomfortable. Um, and the music, okay, yeah, it was, you know, less than harmonious. And there was always some uh, lovely old woman who was just singing and, and clapping um, against the rhythm and singing out of tune. And, and no one was batting an eyelid. Um, and of course, this is all above and beyond the fact that it's, it's really too hot. Uh, there's no air conditioning and everyone is using a language that I'm just still learning how to understand. Um, but the thing is, right, you know, you get used to the heat, you know, I bought myself a hand fan, uh, and you learn the language. But the way the church works, the sermon and the music, those things stay the same. So a question I had to answer for myself quite early on was whether I was willing to make the effort required to worship the Lord and encounter him alongside my Peruvian brothers and sisters or not. Uh, was I prepared to seek out, my God, on their terms, uh, regardless of how uncomfortable, how unintelligible, uh, and as musically painful uh, as it was for me personally? You know, exactly how much of my spirituality uh, was a product of the sleek packaging of, of church? You know, I cannot claim as definitively as Paul does uh, that I am now content in every situation. It would be great <laughs> if I could. Um, but I am convinced that the Holy Spirit does give us the capacity, the strength to meet him and worship him and serve him uh, in all manner of uncomfortable and imperfect situations. So, you know, maybe we don't have to be quite so worried about making our churches perfect uh, in what is obviously a very imperfect world. And this kind of brings me on to lesson from the jungle number two. The Apostle Paul, again, this time in his second letter to the church at Corinth, says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. 
I think we can recognise God's uh, God's strength at work in us uh, when we're first willing to acknowledge our own weakness. I think we can rejoice about how God rescues situations time and time again, only when we're prepared to accept just how out of our control the world is. As Jesus says in John's Gospel, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. So lesson from the jungle number two is that God's faithfulness is not a gamble. God's faithfulness is not a gamble. I don't understand how it works most of the time. Um, and I think to truly fathom God's mercy uh, in a fallen world is way well beyond me. But this I do know, that his faithfulness in a fallen world, this fallen world, is not a gamble. So, now I'm generally a healthy person. Um, I'm quite robust, it would seem. Um, I lived in the Amazon for almost 10 years. I got a lot of mosquito bites, but I never got malaria, never got dengue, never got Zika, uh, by the grace of God. Um, and I only had to be treated for gut parasites maybe twice in the whole time. That's pretty good going. Um, and I'm single, I came out to Peru on my own and I joined a mixed team of Peruvian and British Christians uh, that were based in the, the main kind of regional capital, a city called Iquitos, uh, which is also where all the hospitals and, and good hospitals are. But I guess in part because I'm the single one and I don't have any kids, um, I wasn't going to go and live in Iquitos, I was going to go and live 100 kilometres away in a smaller and, and kind of less developed uh, city called Nauta, um, which was where we were constructing uh, a training centre on land that had been donated to the project. Uh, so Nauta is a, a kind of a small city, but it's still got about 30,000 people, but it's pretty underdeveloped, as I said. Um, it's For all of those people, it's only got two kind of glorified health centres that are kind of masquerading as hospitals, and only one of those is actually open to the general public. So, in 2015, living in Nauta, I got appendicitis. And it so happened that the night that I came down with this and I was doubled over with pain, uh, instead of being 100 kilometers away from a good hospital, uh, living on my own uh, on the edge of Nauta, uh, I was in Iquitos, I was in the city, uh, just for the night. Um, I was sharing a room with um, a volunteer friend called Sarah who had come to work in Nauta with me uh, that year. And at about 11 p.m. I seem to remember saying to Sarah, oh, Sarah, I think I need to go to the hospital. Um, and again, as I was doubled over in pain, she was able to call my colleagues, the ones with the car, they came and picked me up um, and take me to the best um, hospital in the region, the Seventh-day Adventist Clinic. And so within 20 minutes, I was in the emergency room and they were taking me through to tests. Um, they were taking me through for tests, sorry. And I went into surgery kind of the following morning and, and, and everything went fine. Um, but I, I often wonder how that would have played out um, if I had been at home on my own in Nauta, which is how I actually lived there for you know at least 50% of the time that I lived in Nauta. And it's because of experiences like that that I am absolutely certain that God's faithfulness in a fallen world really is trustworthy um, and I hold on to those experiences I keep them close to my heart and I make it a, um, a, a thing of kind of remembering those things to myself um, 
because again in 2020 when this little thing called COVID-19 struck and for various reasons all of my closest friends in Nauta including my housemate um, they left the country uh, I was really on my own and the local health system collapsed completely uh, this seventh day adventist clinic one day they just shut the doors they just put a little sign up saying we're, we're shut uh, and there was no kind of date for when they were going to come back and i just decided that i was going to be okay because the lord had already demonstrated uh, that he knew how to look after me so I just reasoned that if I got COVID, therefore, being there now on my own, I would either get the help that I needed, miraculously or otherwise, uh, or I wouldn't need any. Um, and I did get COVID-19 during that time, and I did get the help that I needed. It was in the form of a Christian neighbour who said that um, basically one night she'd had a dream, she dreamt that I was sick, that I was home alone, and the house was dirty because I, I couldn't clean and there was no one to help me. Uh, when she woke up, um, she knew that she had to at least just come and come and check up on me. And that was basically just after the weekend where my symptoms, such as they were, uh, peaked and I'd been just on the sofa for, for two days straight. Um, and just her knock at the door and her saying she'd had a dream, I knew, there you go. <laughs> There's the Lord's faithfulness uh, looking out for me um, and being, you know, being a constant, being reliable. So as the writer of Hebrews encourages us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's Hebrews 10 at 23. I remain convinced that God's faithfulness is not a gamble. It's not a chance we're taking. It's a certainty, uh, which is how we now arrive at lesson from the jungle number three. Okay, again, Apostle Paul, he says to the church at Thessalonica, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. And to the Church of Philippi he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. I think it's striking that the conclusion of Paul's exhortation to the Philippians, like Jesus' exhortation to his disciples in John's Gospel, it's not that God is promising to remove the problems uh, from his people, rather is that he will grant them the peace uh, to not be troubled in the midst of them. However, I think that the main theme of these two passages uh, is about rejoicing and thankfulness. And that's why lesson from the jungle number three is being thankful is a decision, not a feeling. Being thankful is a decision, not a feeling. So the Peruvian jungle, like uh, most of the non-Western world, I think is an environment of uncertainty and flux. Um, it's an environment where humans still live at the mercy of nature uh, and the elements. Uh, certainly in the jungle, humans are definitely not in charge. We are not in control. Tropical storms come raging through at a moment's notice. They can rip off roofs and literally kind of break trees apart. 
Every year the river levels kind of come up and come down by, by six metres at a time, completely transforms the landscape, uh, washing away complete, uh, uh, communities and even forming new islands in the middle of rivers where previously it was just running water. Many people still live off the land, they live off the rivers as well, uh, and those that live in cities tend to have uh, very informal jobs. People's lives really are quite precarious, um, nothing is guaranteed and the social safety nets are kind of negligible, basically. Um, my Peruvian sisters, they really wring their hands over my singleness. Who will look after me uh, when I'm old if I don't have any children? Because that's basically their strategy, that they know the state won't do it. Um, so also, if you don't know the right people or you can't afford to pay the right people, your options for being able to get ahead or get anything done uh, are incredibly limited. Um, corruption is systemic um, because justice is absent or maybe it's that justice is absent because corruption is systemic. I'm not sure which came first, but the result is that there's an environment where you know, assurances are made um, and usually they turn out to be meaningless. And planning is really just an aspiration. Um, also, um, my Peruvian brothers and sisters, you know, they will almost happily sit and wait an hour, for example, for a church event to start, uh, generally without a word of complaint. Um, and then when it starts, they're up, they're clapping, they're singing without needing a second invitation. They are ready to praise God because at least the thing has started an hour late uh, rather than not at all. And this is something um, that continues to be really humbling for me because I am a stereotypical Westerner when it comes to punctuality. Um, but again, pretty early on, I had to ask myself, um, you know, imagine now the service has started, but inwardly I'm still annoyed at how long I had to wait and all the things I could have got on, got on with if only I had uh, realised it was going to start this late. Um, meanwhile, the brother next to me, you know, the brother with the precarious life and the, and the lack of the social uh, safety nets, he's already up and singing and clapping and praising God. And I have to ask myself, you know, in, in, in that moment, who is really pleasing the Lord? Is it the worshipper or the complainer? Now, which of us is really walking in the spirit uh, and which of us is walking in the flesh right now? And, and those words of Paul, they really convicted me. Uh, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God uh, in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And that's a command. It's not a suggestion that Paul gives uh, because we know what our Saviour Jesus Christ has already done for us. And we know the fallen world that we still live in. Therefore, being thankful is a decision. It's not a feeling because it's also a decision to obey. And we've arrived at lesson from the jungle number, number four. So... Now, the writer of Hebrews, he presents one of the, the big advantages of the incarnation of Jesus Christ in that we have a Lord and a God who knows what it means to be human, who is able to sympathise with our weaknesses because he has been tempted as we are. That's from Hebrews 4 verse 15. And this is in the context of Jesus Christ being our high priest and our mediator before the Father. But it also reminds me that Jesus knows the ins and outs of our daily human existence. He got hungry, he got thirsty, 
he got tired and he went to sleep, uh, we can safely assume that he went to the toilet and that he probably washed his hair once in a while. You know, we can relate to Jesus and he can relate to us based on our common experience of being human. And that's amazing now that the word of God was willing to take on flesh. So when I stepped out of my British culture and I began to observe and learn and live, you know, in the jungle, something that I had probably acknowledged in theory, because uh, it was part of the preparation I did before leaving the UK, this theory became something of a revelation to me. Um, you know, what was life like for first century working class Jews, um, like Jesus, for example, uh, in Israel? Um, you know, I understand that it was probably pretty precarious. Um, there, were, there was a lack of um, social safety nets. Uh, most people lived off the land or the water and corruption was prevalent. Um, you know, do I honestly think that any of the disciples wore a watch? Um, did Paul, the Pharisee, ever mention uh, the importance of punctuality in any of his pastoral letters? Of course he did not. Uh, so this revelation hits me um, that Jesus and his disciples uh, and Paul probably have far more in common with my Peruvian jungle brothers and sisters, you know, on the basis of life experience and culture than they have with me. Uh, the average Peruvian jungle citizen would probably find it far easier to relate to, to Jesus' teachings uh, and Jesus' experiences because of the commonalities in their cultural worldview than I do. Um, in fact, they would probably relate to Jesus on a personal level far more easily than they're able to relate to me be precisely because of those differences and similarities in cultural worldview. So when I went to Peru, I went as a, as a biologist and an environmentalist. Part of my brief was to do teaching on a biblical foundation for creation care. And we were working with lay pastors and church leaders from rural communities. And, you know, sure, I, I went with a script, um, which I thought was already adapted and was going to be appropriate, really, to the jungle context. And unsurprisingly, I had to chuck all of that out and start again. Uh, and one of the things I realized that I had to do, or to stop doing, uh, was I needed to stop trying to contextualize all of the Bible passages for the benefit of the students, because the biblical context actually already spoke directly to the lives of the students. Uh, one of the key passages um, that comes into this teaching on creation care is from Genesis 3, where God is declaring the consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience. And he says to them, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Now, in the UK, I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, dwell on this passage, but in the jungle, uh, where I've seen with my own eyes how the majority of men and women literally do sweat every day to put food on the table. You, know, you can't gloss over this verse, you can't uh, kind of spiritualize it away. Uh, what I actually found is that I was the one that had to change. I had to change my perspective. And one of the outcomes of that is that I stopped talking about creation care because it began to seem a bit patronizing for people who literally sweat every day to wrestle their bread uh, from creation. And I started talking about creation stewardship instead, which actually, the more I re-looked at it, it actually seemed more biblically accurate too. So what was my lesson from the jungle number four? 
My lesson was the importance of learning from those you presume to teach. The importance of learning from those you presume to teach. So those are my four lessons from the jungle. Um, praising and serving amidst the discomforts and imperfections. That God is faithfulness and that's not a gamble. That being thankful is a decision, not a feeling. And I learned all of those things from my brothers and sisters and from living alongside them. So the fourth point was that it's really important to learn from those who you want to teach. I hope this has been helpful and interesting. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Adios, bienvenida. Ciao. Can't hold back, we can't be silent.